everyone, it is Jeff Bulletproof Anderson. And I am Buck Green. Just Buck Green? Well, if you're, you're going to have a nickname, I can't, you can't both have nicknames. We can both have nicknames. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure of the nickname protocol. I know you can't give yourself a nickname. Like, I had a roommate in college, he and his buddies would just give themselves nicknames and then insist that they use them. <laughs> and I, it was, I just wanted to take him aside and go, I realize that we're both, like, uh, 18-year-old kids, but I gotta tell you, man, I, I, don't, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> you set yourself up for a lifetime of sadness by doing that. I don't know. In oh, third, I'm sorry. Was, was I supposed to call you Iceman? I forgot. <laughs> is that this week's nickname? And I'm not making that up. I swear that was one of the nicknames. No, I know. I mean, in third grade, there were seven Fonzes. I was one of them. <laughs> I was I was the Fonz, and there were six more Fonzes in my third grade class. Did you have a vinyl jacket? I No, I did not have a vinyl jacket. I so had I guess a final I wasn't a very good Fonz. I wasn't a. I, I could say hey a lot, but there was no jacket to back it up. <laughs> anyway, I, I, you know, I realized we were introing the podcast, and then we forgot. <laughs> yeah, listen, everybody. This is a. Uh, this is a uh, my and Buck's opportunity in the Modern Combat and Survival podcast to apparently just talk about absolutely nothing the Seinfeld version of our lives, but actually to go back <laughs> over our blog posts and. And uh, some of the stuff that we learned this week and talk about them and uh, some of your comments and, and just kind of share in a little quick tip sort of a fashion so that you don't have to go in and read everything on the blog word for word. We can actually go in and just kind of give you the highlights and um, and have some fun at the same time. So let's go ahead and get started right now. Uh, Buck, why don't you go ahead and um, cover the the first broadcast? Well, the post that, that caught my eye because I'm a... I'm a 1980s survivalist from way back, was the post entitled, How Close Are We to Nuclear Disaster? Too Close, and Mother Nature Wants to Help. Uh, you know, the, there was, in the 80s, there was a huge fad in nuclear war movies. You could not turn around twice and swing a dead cat without hitting a nuclear war movie. And the, the most famous one is The Day After, the one that has, I think it's Jason Robards in it. And what all those movies have in common is they're incredibly depressing and they depict a world where, you know, if you're lucky enough to be vaporized with you and your dog and your little boy Timmy, you're probably better off because for everyone else who's still alive, it's going to suck and you're all going to get radiation poisoning or giant scorpions will kill us all. Uh, you know, your call. I'm not sure which is worse. But the, the fact is we've kind of gotten away from the nuclear war, Cold War era fear because we've sort of decided, well, it's not, you know, we're not being told by the media every day that it's a possibility, so we're not worried about it. And the fact is, the possibility of nuclear war is actually real. I mean, the, the Fukushima nuclear disaster was, well, should have been kind of a wake-up call that, hey, you know, all those nuclear power plants, all you're all just one earthquake away from radiation everywhere. And before that, I think we didn't worry about Chernobyl as much as we should have because well, it was the Russians, and, you know, they're crazy, and it's way over there. So uh, the fact is, nuclear disaster, whether it's, uh, you know, a nuclear exchange, a limited nuclear bombing, a terrorist bombing, you know, all the stuff in the news with Iran getting the, the nuclear uh, bomb, it's out there. The danger is real. It's not just possible. It might even be inevitable, although I hate saying that because it just scares the crap out of me. And the post on the blog was actually a recipe 
for pine needle tea, and you're going, well, what does pine needle tea have to do? I mean, I'm not just going to kick back with my survivalist pine needle tea and sip tea while the world burns, you know, like that Kermit meme where he's drinking tea. That's none of my business. Well, the fact is uh, pine needles are actually a wonderful source of, of vitamin C. They have more vitamin C in them, like maybe up to five times that of an actual lemon. Um, and, of course, pine needles are everywhere if you've got pine trees and lots of places have pine trees. So we included a recipe for making pine needle tree, the whole point of which is that vitamin C helps protect your tissues against radiation exposure. Um, back in the 80s, and this is how you know I'm one of those old-school 80s Cold War survival guys, uh, it was all the rage to get potassium iodide tablets that you take when, you know, your little nuclear rad meter goes off and you're like, gotta start taking those pills because it's the end of the world. Watch for giant scorpions. <laughs> and uh, I've never been too sure if those things will actually help because, you know, if you do the research, you'll find that they help you with only a certain kind of of uh, radiation exposure in a certain context. But I have them. I got a couple of big bottles of them just waiting for giant scorpion, nuclear apocalypse, Mad Max in Australia kind of stuff. Yeah, and and you know you nailed something right there, which was the it's the over there mentality of you know wow Chernobyl really sucks for them, doesn't it? Ho hum, off to work, and it's the you know and and that happens even within our country. Oh oh, really sucks that those guys down in New Orleans that whole Hurricane Katrina thing. Good thing I live in Kansas, so you know everybody the everybody kind of justifies procrastination quite a bit with the over there mentality like oh that doesn't really you know that that happens to people in cities that happens to people on the coast that happens to people in other countries you know uh home invasions only happen in in urban areas you know where they have lots of of crime and uh you know it's all it is is a means for procrastination to to take action yourself so um i think that was a very good point that you made there um, it's it, one of those things scares the crap out of me because kind of like pandemic, there's not a lot you can do. I mean, you can try to prepare for it. You can try to be flexible and, you know, respond to it, but it's not something you can be proactive about. You and I cannot stop a pandemic from starting. You and I cannot stop a nuclear disaster from starting. Yeah. So the next, uh, the next post that came up was, um, oh, it was our podcast. It was my podcast with EJ Owens of tacticalfirearmtraining.com uh, on advanced concealed carry tactics. Uh, this broadcast, if you haven't listened to it, there, I mean, it is jam packed. If you, if you carry a weapon for, for personal defense, this is, um, there's a ton of great stuff in there. I mean, I remember this is actually an older broadcast that I did and I had just, I uh, just gotten my concealed carry permit. Uh, when I, when I had done this with EJ. And so I was, and I was still in kind of the disbelief of, of all the crap that I learned in that, in that concealed carry class that even, you know, I knew just from experience and from my own training and from my, you know, my own experience and everything that, you know, three quarters of what they were saying in that class was absolute BS. And that the people that left there, I just felt were, we're not only not prepared, but I mean, if you believe the stuff that you learned about when to use a firearm and things like that, they're either going to end up dead or in prison. And I ended up as, as we were leaving in the parking lot, I was like, I was shuffling off our bulletproof defense DVDs off to everybody for free. I was like, Hey, take this and watch it, take this and watch it. And, um, 
it was just, it was just scary. And EJ is one of those guys that, who, who also, based on experience, I mean, he's he's been he has had to use his his concealed firearm in a real in a real live situation. So um, he understands the the actual parameters of what goes into a firefight and what works and what doesn't. He runs a tactical school. So um, and he doesn't he doesn't. What I like about him is he doesn't take the you know kind of the trident. I won't say tried and true, but the, just the tried and seemingly true training that's out there and accept it as gospel. He he pushes it all away, tests it, and, uh, and and looks and sees what really works. So he's got a lot of great information in there. So definitely go check out that podcast. That was a lot of fun for me. So really good one. On a related note, the uh, the post that I enjoyed because I'm such a, a movie hound is uh, Tactical Firearms Training, Three Movie Gunfight Myths That Kill. And what, what caught my eye about the post, of course, is that he used a, an image from Lethal Weapon, which, like you, if I had a Lethal Weapon odometer on my life clock, it's probably probably seen it a hundred times, like straight up just over and over and over again. One of my favorite movies ever, and the movie that, like so many people, made me want to own a Beretta 92F. Um, you know, I, you can't buy advertising like that. When yeah. when that movie came out, the folks at Beretta must have thrown a party and go, "Well, we're going to be selling those for a while." So, uh, the the, uh, the movie that you mentioned, uh, I actually really enjoyed John Wick and The Equalizer too. Um, I was less impressed with Nonstop, one of, the, and I was actually surprised that you mentioned it because it was kind of a turkey of a movie, but. Nonstop caused a whole bunch of controversy when it came out because people were claiming that it was anti-military. And I watched the movie thinking, you know, just being ready to be offended. I do that a lot. But, you know, as a right winger, I'm always looking for them big evil folks in Hollywood to be foisting their beliefs on me. And I, I watched it. I'm like, that's not anti-military. The movie's just written for shit. <laughs> It's just a badly written movie. Well, I'm sorry I included it, but I watched it. It was my list. It was my watch list for the week. Well, I'm sure you are sorry because it's a terrible film. <laughs> well, you know, I think Liam Neeson. All he does now is just get up, drink coffee, smoke cigarette, and then go make a movie. I mean, it's he and he's smart. He's capitalizing on like I'm going to take every single action movie out there while I'm still old enough to walk and 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 look sexy, you know. Which I don't know. I just I'm not a girl, but I just think he's the most god awful looking dude <laughs> there possibly well, is. But he's Liam Neeson really stepped in it too because uh, when his most recent movie Run All Night came out, um, people were photoshopping the poster of that movie like like it was going out of style because he just you know coincidentally made a bunch of anti-gun statements and you know there's plenty of actors in Hollywood who are anti-gun but when people like Liam Neeson or Sean Penn who hate public ownership of firearms although Sean Penn has a long history of actually owning guns. Um, when they come out and they tell you that guns are evil and there's too many guns, and they make their living shooting people in yeah. the movies, it's just really hypocritical. Yeah. But then, Lethal Weapon is actually a brilliant example of that because Richard Donner, the, the director, is a huge Hollywood liberal who laces all kinds of overt leftist imagery and messages in his movies, like uh, Mel on a motorcycle slides under a, a semi truck and the truck has "Fur is dead" written across it. Or uh, one of the Lethal Weapon movies, there's a big anti-NRA poster in the background, stuff like that. So the hypocrisy is right there on the screen. Like, uh, I'm going to make a movie about people shooting, you know, all day long, and I'm going to make money off it, but guns are bad, okay? 
Look so, at you. You know, whenever the politics come into it, it gets kind of sad fast because these are people who are making money off the very thing they they claim to hate. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm going to get off my soapbox. The the <laughs> myth that we talked about in the post, they're all very valid points. Um, the fact that a handgun is actually a very underpowered weapon. And the likelihood of you bringing a guy down with one or two shots, you know, just instant off switch, it's very unlikely because if you don't hit him in the left ventricle of the heart or the brain, he's not going to just drop. He's going to remain a threat to you, even if he were to eventually die from the holes that you put in him, which is a very real possibility. Um, another big myth is, you know, the myth of accuracy, the, the picture of Mel Gibson having shot the smiley face into the target. And, you know, we're all supposed to be impressed, like, wow, he, he must be an awesome killer sniper guy but under stress under adrenaline you know studies have shown even well-trained people's marksmanship goes to hell uh and then i think another one of the myths in the post was that uh you, you know you're not going to see blood spraying out of people uh, the best example of that is um rambo not the first rambo but like the self-titled rambo movie that just came out recently where sylvester stallone went back to the rambo well because he had boat payments to make or something <laughs> and uh the people in that movie it's like their content under pressure. It's like they're all bottles of pressurized blood and they don't just fall over or even spray. They explode in showers of liquid when they are shot. And, yeah. and I think a lot of movies would have you believe that when you're shooting, you're going to see spraying blood everywhere. And that's just not the case. Uh, we've been conditioned by years of squibs in, in movies, you know, little explosions and blood packets that, that make the gunshot look very dramatic. And that's simply not how it happens. Yeah. And I think most people aren't really, I mean, your, your brain isn't really looking for blood splatters. But I guess, the, you know, the point I was trying to make with that is that you're probably not going to even know whether or not you hit this person. I mean, they, they might not even know that you hit them because of their adrenaline that's flowing. And so you know, they can keep charging at you. You're not going to see blood. You might not even see them react as if they were hit. They might just not even know it. And so, you know, you just basically keep you keep pulling until you've stopped the threat. Well, yeah, and then there's those accounts, and you read of these all the time, these people who don't realize they've been shot until after. You know, like like he's kind of pawing at his torso, like, oh, I kind of got to, oh, wait, I'm bleeding. You know, it's like, hey, buddy, you were shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I always say do a self-check after that, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah. there was a Sam W. brought up another. So I had asked, you know, what other movie myths have you seen that that don't hold water? And Sam W. had written in, you know, pistol versus car. It takes more to get through a windshield than you think. Even an AR has trouble with a sloped windshield. Um, and I didn't understand this. Try it with a sandbag holding a melon dummy. I don't know if he was talking to me. <laughs> I don't think so, because Sam is actually uh, no, he's one I, of our he he's meant. one of our good uh, he's one of our good. You know, he he leaves some really great comments uh, oftentimes, and uh, I don't th I don't think he was talking to me. Try it with a sandbag holding a melon, you dummy. Well, I I think that was more of a universal you, like those of you who buy into these myths. <laughs> and of course, a very valid point. One of the things that you read about the ballistics of say a nine millimeter versus a forty-five is because the forty-five is a relatively slow-moving bullet compared to the nine millimeter. Yeah, it tends to ricochet more when it hits a sloped windshield, which deflects it, as opposed to the higher velocity 9mm, which has a greater chance, on average, of punching through the windshield, just like it has a greater chance of going completely through a person, as opposed to the 45 staying in the body. And, and these are gross generalizations, and I'm not trying to start one of those incredibly painful ballistic discussions, but that's just to oversimplify uh, one example of the ballistics of the two rounds because of their speed. Yeah. Yep.
And uh, the final post that we've got to talk about uh, today is, uh, will mixed martial arts work in a real street fight? This is a video, if anybody listened to the uh, to the Friday Reload last week, this was, I think it was my What Do You Know entry, which was a, it was a video from CNN's, uh, oh, I don't even know the name of the the um, the show, I'd forgotten, but Kyra Phillips is uh, kind of one of the one of the women on the show that that contributes, and she uh, did this whole thing where it was it was in response to the knockout game, and they were trying to you know ex- expose like, hey, the knockout games out there, look how brutal the streets are. Here's how you can defend yourself from the knockout game. And they had the pro, uh, pro, I'm not going to leave his name off the Friday Reload, and I left it off the post, but there's a pro mixed martial arts fighter who came on the show to show here's how you can defend against the knockout game, and went on to show these really complicated. Uh, moves for mixed martial arts, such as an arm bar, how to flip somebody over your back. And it was just so funny because he's this, hey, look, you get in the ring with this guy or the octagon with this guy and he, you know, he's a, he's, I'm sure he's a great fighter. He's very strong. He's very, he's very, uh, good at his, at his art. And, uh, you know, he'd wipe up the floor with most people that are out there. It was just, it's really funny to see little Kyra Phillips, this petite female, going up against him, and he's saying, "Oh no!" And, and she even said it. Like he said, "Here's here's what you can do." And then he basically put, flipped her over his uh, hip, got her down on the ground, and put her in an arm bar. And uh, that, just in principle alone, even if you could do that, um, all of the guy's buddies who were going to be laughing when this guy tried to knock out punch you, knock out game you, would be stomping on your head as you're trying to pull off the arm bar. So, it, it, I mean, from the very beginning, it was the most preposterous thing I've ever seen as a demonstration for martial arts or self-defense. But then she even says, well, wait a minute, how, how can I do that? And he's like, oh, it's easy. Here, here, I'll show you. And then he went to go put her in a in like a headlock and now do this, now do this, now do this. And you can you can just see this gargantuan guy and and this little girl trying to do this and and it was just there was no way it's going to happen and so um, we actually had one comment on this that that I'll bring up we had some really good comments on here people that that left it but um Gary said uh, I've taught martial arts for over 25 years and, and I can tell you that size and strength are not a handicap like this site would claim it is and just because you're a woman or a small male sound um, not necessarily keep you from being able to defend yourself from a single or multiple attackers. I used to teach women's self-defense and rape prevention classes, and I didn't teach them crap taekwondo classes or MMA fighting, though I did incorporate a lot of jiu-jitsu in my classes. The only the, the one thing I constantly ran into with all my classes was one or two women thinking that they could not fight off a man due to his size and strength. A lot of these women had really been assaulted by men previously, so having to having to get them to not only believe they could protect themselves, but to actually do it. So the first thing I would always do is pick the biggest guy in the class, or if any of the women had brought their boyfriend or husband with them, and I would take um, one of them, and he didn't finish it. Um, but I, I think what he was trying to say was that I, you know, I got that, them to get their boyfriend to do it. Now, a couple of things here. One, it's not that we're saying that women or young or, or smaller people um, can't defend against somebody bigger and stronger. That's the whole, if, if you'd clicked on the link in that, you'd see there is a DVD that we have on how to defeat larger attackers. Our yeah, whole premise, whole our whole point. Yeah, our whole premise is, um, well, one is that when it comes to a real fight, 
size and strength absolutely do matter. And anybody that, that tries to tell you that it doesn't matter is full of shit. It, it does help you in a fight. If I, look, if I could pack on an extra, you know, 30 pounds of muscle and an extra four inches of height, I would be a better fighter. And I would be strong. I would be able to put more in the Now, that being said, I know how to do things with absolutely no, with no force whatsoever. I could knock out a man with just the flick of a wrist. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I could, I could kill you with my pinky, but there are things that you can do where size and strength don't matter. But in a real fight, size and strength do matter. That's why we built, that's why we did the DVD. Like, because they do matter, here's how you overcome that challenge. But, so, so you, you can't say that they, you can't say that they don't matter because to most people they are going to matter. And you always have to put in that, you know, well, anything can happen type thing. So, so that, so, and, and he actually, he actually proves his own point in there because he says, and I didn't teach them craft taekwondo classes or MMA fighting, which was the other point of this whole thing is that when you learn something that will protect you against a, a larger attacker, um, it's chances are Taekwondo and mixed martial arts are not going to be what are going to help you. Our whole point with this was, and I actually, I didn't make the, I didn't make the point because I wanted people in the post to kind of see for themselves, but it's the mixed martial arts mentality that screwed this guy up. Like you, you know, this guy would be able to handle himself in a, you know, definitely in the octagon, but if he tried to do that, what he's been trained in a real fight in a bar somewhere or something like that, he could very easily get killed. He could get stomped on while he's trying to do an arm bar. Or if, if, if it's a bar situation and he goes down to do the arm bar, he could nail his head on, on a chair or something and knock himself out or break his neck. So our point with that is that training does matter. Training especially matters when you have to go up against somebody in an ambush situation like a knockout game or, you know, somebody who's bigger and stronger than you, training does matter. And so the training that you get had damn well better be um, geared toward that type of attack that you're going, that you're going to be facing. And you can see the brainwashing in this fighter because he's thinking mixed martial arts response, which if he tries it in real life, could get him killed. And so that that's our whole thing. You don't, you know, Taekwondo is great, um, you know, could you possibly pull off a spinning back kick on somebody and knock them out? Absolutely you could. Absolutely you could. Um, most likely not, though. So the training that you get should be geared specifically toward larger attackers. Because I, in my opinion, if you can take on somebody that's, you know, twice your, twice your size than anything else in a one-on-one -on -one fight, given, you know, no, you know, when it's really hand-to-hand -hand and not hand-to-weapons, um, makes it a whole lot easier. So, Anyway, there were some really great comments in there. I, I, I encourage everybody to go back and, and point out some other things that you find on there. There's some really good stuff on there. So, The best statement I've ever seen on that is, just because it worked once doesn't mean it works. <laughs> mm. Yep. True that. Oh, my God. I just said true that. I can't stop saying true that. I, you know, that's a weird problem to have, and <laughs> I, I think you might need counseling. My son, uh, my son hates it when I say that. I think that's why I keep saying it. For good reason. For yeah. good reason. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, so this now we come to the part of the show where it is the what do you know. And this is where Buck and I talk about something that we learned over the week and 
and want to pass it on to all of our all of our listeners. And uh, I'll go ahead and get started. And the reason why I gave my name gave myself the nickname Bulletproof, although it does sound like a badass nickname. I mean, if I were going to give myself a nickname, it might be Bulletproof or Fonz. I don't know which I would go with these days. From but now on, I'm going to call you Bulletproof Fonzie. Yeah, Bulletproof Fonzie. That'd be a good movie for uh, Liam Neeson. He could bring back the Fonz. <laughs> I'm just picturing a taciturn Liam Neeson in an ill-fitting leather jacket. Just like, I'm going to need her phone number. Hey. <laughs> hey. Whoa. <laughs> oh, no. Too much inflection. You gotta, if you're going to Liam Neeson things, you've got to gotta think in terms of stilted delivery because everything Liam Neeson does that makes him sound like a tough guy is basically just Liam Neeson being awkward. Like, <laughs> Monotone, I, I death stare, just... I, I don't have any money. What I do have are skills. I will kill you. So, you know, give give me back my daughter. Yeah. Um, okay, so my bulletproof uh, tip this week is actually, I don't know you know, how much is actual survival, but I had to pass it on anyway. And it has to do with uh, bulletproof coffee. And I, uh, this is a recent discovery of mine, and I've kind of been getting into it. And we, I did do an article. I'll, t- I'll tie this in this way. I did do an article on coffee as a survival bartering tool because – you can, um, you know, if let's say it's a situation and you're down at the, uh, you're down on the outskirts of the FEMA camp because you're waiting for your place inside, wink, wink, um, that, uh, you know, making coffee can make you friends. And, you know, p- people have, and, you know, lots of people have addictions. I mean, that's, those are some of the best bartering tools are, uh, are things that people are addicted to and definitely, you know, feel like they need or need to calm their nerves or things like that. So there's lots of people where they have to have their coffee in the morning. There's lots of people, you know, so we talk about cigarettes and alcohol also as bartering tools. Um, I love my coffee in the morning and it's kind of, I'm a morning person, uh, have been ever since the military forced me to be. And so I'm up every morning about 4.30 or so. And that's when I get the bulk of my, my work done, my writing and things like that. And I, I, I won't say I need that cup of coffee, but I certainly adore that cup of coffee to get me started in the morning. And so, um, I recently discovered uh, a bulletproof coffee. Have you heard of this, Buck? I think I have. I think I have. Yeah. So, so basically, what it is is this. Um, I don't know. I forgot what the guy's profession was, but anyway, I think he was riding yaks in the Tibet, in the mountains of Tibet, and uh, came across you these sherpas. Yeah. You know, it was it was Friday afternoon. So. He was, uh, he came across these Sherpas who were drinking coffee with yak's milk in it. And yak's milk, I guess, has lots and lots of, of cream and healthy fats because they're grass fed and things like that. So, uh, so he thought, wow, that's a really cool little trick. And he liked it. And so he devised this, this recipe for bulletproof coffee is what he calls it. And basically what it is, is a, it's a really good coffee. So you use like an organic, um, dark roast coffee. Something that, you know, coffee has lots and lots of antioxidants in it. It actually is healthy for you in moderation, like most things and, or, you know, like most things you're probably not supposed to do. But anyway, the, so it's, it's coffee. Um, I forgot I'm how many ounces. I think it's, um, like eight ounces of coffee and then one to two tablespoons of grass fed butter. And, uh, I only, I only use one tablespoon. I think two tablespoons was a little bit too much for me, but, but it has to be, grass-fed unsalted butter and you put that into i've got a bullet you know the oh 
coincidentally. I've got a, a the bullet, you know, the little blender thingy from the infomercials. Love those. Uh-huh, it all comes together now. Yeah. Both of those were provided by the Illuminati. <laughs> I, did, I didn't even really, you know, I, there was just a little irony there. It's the bullet. So I uh, put that in there and then a tablespoon of MCT oil. Now, if you were to go look at this online, this guy actually has his own MCT oil. It's about seven times the price of every other MCT oil out there, but it's the exact same as every other MCT oil out there. MCT oil is medium chain triglyceride oil, and I used to use this a lot when I was um, bodybuilding and dieting down. And basically, it is um, it's a it's a concentrated part of the coconut oil that is is used very rapidly as energy by the by the body and specifically also by the brain. Um, Little side note, like when I was dieting down for photos or contests or something like that, um, trying to get down to really super low levels of body fat means that you take in like pretty much zero carbohydrates and you end up feeling like you're going crazy. I remember s- switching between bawling like a baby and laughing like the Joker sometimes, you know, so, like five so times. So Atkins is what you're saying. Yes, essentially Atkins on steroids. Um, but, you know, the brain operates on on, you know, carbohydrates and fats. And so MCT oil would um, provide energy for your brain so you didn't go through those crying and, and laughing bits. But anyway, so a, a tablespoon of MCT oil. And, and by the way, you cannot, uh, it does not, you cannot um, gain fat from MCT oil. Even though it is an oil, it is fat, your body cannot use it to store body fat. So it's directly used by the body very rapidly. Um, so it, it, here's what it does. So you, you basically put in your, your coffee. I, I want to say it's like 12 ounces. It's keep forgetting, but you can look it up online. But coffee, tablespoon of grass-fed butter. Why grass-fed? Because it's not, uh, it, it has the conjugated linoleic acid. I'm using a lot of the health stuff in here, but it has healthy fats in it that come from grass-fed beef and grass-fed cows. It is actually healthy for you. We don't get enough healthy fats in our diet. So tablespoon of that. A, t- a tablespoon of the uh, MCT oil, you put it in a blender for about 10 seconds until it's all blended together. So even though it starts out as black coffee, you don't need any cream or sugar or anything. Well, you could, you know, sweeten it with stevia or something, but you just blend it all up. And so here's what it does. Um, number one, it tastes really good. And I'm always reminded of like Homer Simpson sticking a stick of butter in his coffee in the morning. It, it kind of has that effect to it. It tastes very good. But here's the thing is that it doesn't give you like the caffeine jolt, but it makes you, it, it actually gives you a, a slower ride up on the caffeine buzz. It, it gives it a more flat line buzz, but very highly focused. So I'm finding that, you know, typically I have like seven things to do in the morning and I'm doing them all at the same time because my ADD has just got me all over the place and I end up not really accomplishing everything that I could because I don't just sit down and just focus in on one thing and get it done. What I found is that with this this brain jolt of MCT oil, especially mixed with the caffeine and things like that, that it helps me be really, really focused and I get a lot more done. And then you don't have the crash that you normally get from drinking a pot of coffee either. So um, so anyway, I it was one of those it's one of those things you just kind of have to experience. You can look it up online for a bulletproof coffee recipe and you'll you'll get the same thing. There's videos out there for it and stuff like that. 
just don't buy uh, the it's the bulletproof executive is the guy that that created this and but just don't buy the special beans the coffee beans that he has and don't buy the mct oil they're way overpriced you're not getting anything really just get an organic dark roast coffee regular mct oil from the health food store and you'll be absolutely fine just make sure it's grass-fed butter that's well, my what do you know I think we've hit every single health food keyword. I think so. It's hard not to go into jargon mode when I do this. I mean, I, I, not many people might might realize, but I was a health writer um, actually at the same time that I was a survival, a self-defense writer. And so, you know, it, I, have to, I have to avoid going into jargon mode more. But I thought there was a backstory that was needed there. Uh, well, my what do you know this week uh, is actually driven by a purchase that I made, as it so often is. I went on Amazon, and I, I bought a book on survival. And I got the book, and I started thumbing through it, and I realized, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Because the book, while it looked good, and it looked professional, and it was even laid out reasonably well, was littered with mistakes and questionable material. And as I'm thumbing through it, I realized, this person is an idiot, uh, including like, you know, there was a section on like, do it yourself, hazmat suit, and no part of the, uh, uh, description was workable. Like, like, did you, did you, and he says, and I, I went back and I reread it. And he says, well, this is only a theory, but it should work. I'm like, I think the theory needs work, pal. And the point is, when you look at the beginning of the book, you realize, oh, this is a self-published book. And, the the nice thing about the way the book industry is evolving, and especially with ebooks and the fact that you can print, you can do an ebook or you can publish a paper book directly through Amazon. Uh, you know, Amazon is now a publisher, and, and actually, there's a fair amount of controversy about Amazon, quote unquote, bludgeoning other publishers with its power to reduce their profit margins. Um, a, a great deal of the royalties paid out, like, like let's say 40% of the royalties paid to authors are actually paid to self-published authors. By contrast, the major publishers pay out about 35% of the royalties that are paid out, uh, you know, in the world of authors who receive money for their books. And, you know, you, there's thousands of amateur authors who are getting a few pennies, and then a few authors who are getting more than that. And the, the thing about the way the industry has evolved is barriers to entry are the lowest they've ever been. If you want to be a published author, it is now meaningless to say that you have a published book because anybody can. Anybody can who has a few dollars to put together the, uh, you know, to set up the book and, and have it published or have it printed. Um, and if you want to do an ebook, it costs even less money because there's no physical printing cost involved. It'll cost you more to get a nice cover made. But the problem is, where does that leave us, the consumer? Well, the thing about publishers is they're gatekeepers. And while that means they sometimes keep people out of the market who have good stuff, you know, you hear about those famous authors whose work was rejected a million times before it finally found a publisher who was willing to put it out. The, the gatekeeping function is still important in that it also keeps incompetently written garbage from hitting the market, you hope. Uh, you know, and it still doesn't stop it all the time. Um, you know, that you page through some books. Um, Judith Regan was a big one for this. People may remember that name because Regan Books was the book that put out the O.J. Simpson If I Did It book. Like, they thought that was a good idea, and then, you know, the woman lost her job because it was a really bad idea. But she put out plenty of biographies that you look through those biographies and you go, 
No part of this story is true. So even with the gatekeeping function, that's no guarantee of quality. But so many of the self-published books on the market, especially the fiction, is crap. And you'd expect that from amateur fiction. But when you get into nonfiction, like books on survival, the quality of what's in the book starts to matter. If I read a crappy zombie book, I'm not harmed, but I wasted some money. If I read a crappy survival book, I may die trying to apply some of the stuff I just read. And it goes beyond this is badly written to the point that the material in this book is not workable because it was put together by somebody who wants to be a survival guru and isn't. So my what do you know this week is when you're buying any survival book, make sure you check the publisher. If it is a self-published publishing house, you can can look for the publisher on Amazon and look that that name up to see if it's a self-publishing house, you know, like iUniverse or Publish America or whatever. Uh, if it's uh, done directly through Amazon, there will be create space if it's a paper book. Um, check that. And if, if you do discover that it's self-published, then you really need to consider carefully whether or not you're going to buy that book. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't because in some cases, you know, there are survival personalities who are very popular online who will publish their own stuff. And, you know, you know that character, you know that person, and you go ahead and buy their work and you can feel reasonably confident that you're getting quality. But if it's nobody you've ever heard of and they're self-publishing something, think real hard about spending your money and trusting their resource. Well, I, you know, self-publishing has opened it up for everybody. And I think a lot of people, you know, nowadays, I think it's become so so prevalent that, you know, really the only reason to have a publisher, I believe, is if you want, number one, the ego version of it, where you have a publisher who's publishing your stuff, because it is an accomplishment. I mean, to be chosen and to have it, pushed out there is great, but I know a lot of authors um, who actually have published books out there. Tim Ferriss is one of them, and, you know, he would be, he'd be one of the guys that would say, you know, how difficult, how, how important it is to find the right publisher and how they can propel your life and your career when it's pushed. However, they usually only push you for a little while, and then they're off to the next big thing, and then you're kind of left there with, okay, what do I do with all these books that I bought and stuck in my garage to give away? So um, so self-publishing has made it available for anybody to really put out a book there, and that's – so I guess it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, right? Like there's – it's um, it's allowed more people to get great information out there that you probably never would have had access to. It's also allowed other people to put their stupid ideas out there that you probably shouldn't have had, had access to. So, well, and I prefer it that way. Like I'm, yeah. I'm happy that barriers to entry are low. I'm happy that anybody who wants to put out a book on their own terms can do so. I just think it then becomes incumbent on us, the consumer, to be more careful about what we buy. Because before, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, I walk into a bookstore, I buy a book on survival. I have a reasonable expectation that somebody vetted that book. Yeah. Now. Uh, you're on your own. you got to figure that out for yourself. Yeah, good point. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our show, and um, we've got a lot more stuff lined up. Um, we have some really cool, a really cool um, podcast scheduled for next week, and I'll go ahead and kind of leave that open for you here. But, uh, but definitely check out our podcast. Be sure to give us that five-star rating that we're looking for and leave us a good comment out there. Let us know how you're uh, liking the uh Thing and then also something we've started doing is on Tuesdays when we release the email, letting you know that the next podcast is up. We're also letting you give uh, hit reply and give us feedback on questions that you would like for the next podcast. So I'll typically I'll put down here's uh, I'm looking for an expert in this area or I have one scheduled in this area. 
go ahead and send me your number one question. We get some great ones back, and that's because I want to make sure that I uh, I am giving you the I'm, I'm getting you the information that you're looking for. And the best way to do that is for you to give me the questions that you would like answered. So definitely check out the uh, at least the Tuesday emails that we put out there, and let us know. Uh, what your what your number one most burning question is for the upcoming topic that we have for the podcast. So um, greatly appreciate it. Keep all the comments coming. Lots of great stuff out there. Really appreciate all of your support, everyone. Really, truly do. We're moving up the ranks in, in iTunes, and uh, it's all because of you. So greatly appreciate it. And until the next Modern Combat and Survival training broadcast and Friday Reload, this is Jeff Bulletproof Anderson. And I am Buck Green. Bulletproof Fonzie saying train hard, stay safe, and prepare now. Thanks, everyone. Hey. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.